you look at the world today and all of the power and capabilities and all of the new technologies that are out there, new techniques and methods in every industry and discipline, it seems obvious to me that we need to collaborate. We are most powerful when we collaborate together and bring you know, the different skill sets and capabilities to bear on a problem. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. Companies today face a global war for talent, and high-skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top freelancers to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Estes. My guest today is co-founder and CEO of HeroX, Kristen Cattuccini. HeroX is a spinoff of the X Prize. The world's largest problem-solver community empowers everyday people to work with some of the world's largest companies to solve some of the hardest problems. With over 20 years of experience leading startups and high-growth technology companies, Christian is an active angel investor and mentor to startup entrepreneurs. A Forex founder, Christian founded his first company, Absolute Software, in the mid-90s, went on to found Make Technologies and Suburbio. After three successful exits, Christian took a year-long sabbatical in 2012 before joining as co-founder and CEO of HeroX. My name is Christian Cattaccini. I'm the co-founder and CEO of HeroX. HeroX is the world's number one crowdsourcing platform. And I've been a longtime entrepreneur. I dropped out of college to start my first company. That uh, company did uh, quite well, despite all my attempts at screwing things up. Um, <laughs> and since uh, before starting HeroX, I started, I've done three startups. One went public, two were acquired. The last one was acquired by Dell when they were going private. And it gave me a chance to take a step back, do a, a sabbatical, which is, I think, something that you know a little bit about, Paul. I do. And had a chance to kind of think through what was important and what I wanted to focus on. And that really got down you know, beyond business to making a big impact and making a difference in the world. I met Peter Diamandis, the founder of the XPRIZE Foundation, and best-selling author of the book Abundance, which I read during my sabbatical. I reached out to him. We became fast friends. And that led the way to us co-founding HeroX, the idea of which started inside of XPRIZE as a, a platform that would bring the power of crowdsourcing, which XPRIZE has been pioneering in the modern era for over 20 years, bring that power to anybody who wanted to launch a project, solve a problem. And since that fateful encounter, we've launched hundreds of projects, worked with organizations as diverse as nonprofits, to NASA, to big companies like Boeing, Lockheed Martin, and Coca-Cola. And we're doing amazing things and really helping uh, bring opportunity for creativity, talent, innovation to anybody who wants to participate. In my experience, when I was learning about this space, even the word crowdsourcing, I didn't understand it. And I think a lot of people think this is these are big companies taking advantage of various communities to get stuff done on the cheap. And as, as I started to understand what these communities were, the problems that were being solved and the diversity that was being brought to bear and the power of that diversity, my mind and perspective 
really changed as, as I tried to understand it. Because the problems, like you said, that Hero X is solving aren't small problems. These aren't people translating stuff. They're, they're big and hard problems. Before we get into that, you are a storied entrepreneur. And, and I want to talk, especially in this moment, about how your teams over time used to run as it relates to remote work and using freelancers. So you were an executive and, and CEO and founder of these companies. What was your point of view back then about these topics and has it evolved? I've always geeked out over management systems and company culture and, and just explored the alternative models there for a long time. We've always done things differently at companies that I've started and, and participated in. The startup that we launched just before HeroX ended up being partially virtual because we had three founders in three different cities. That gave me a chance to experiment with that whole world. And one of the books that had a big impact on me was um, a book called Work Sucks. It's by Carrie Resler and Jody Thompson. They created the results-only work environment movement. They were at HR and, and at Best Buy, I believe. They created what, what's called ROWI, results-only work environment. The whole idea there is to move away from office and cubicle supervision and a lot of the, the kind of de facto ways that managers kind of monitor the productivity of their staff, which often you know, boiled down to how long your bumps was, was in your seat. So I experimented with that. And then when we started Hero X, we had the same problem. We had founders and staff spread out. So we decided to go purely distributed. That turned out to be you know, a really good decision. And we've had a chance to practice that and optimize and tune our culture, our management system, the way we run the business. So when COVID-19 hit and you know, everybody had to work from home, business as usual at Hero X. One of the biggest advantages is, well, two things. First off, it gives you an opportunity to, to recruit globally without worrying about relocation and commuting to offices. And that just gives you access to a much larger talent pool. You also have a culture where any staff member that's anywhere is a, like a fully-fledged staff member. There isn't a you know, head office syndrome that you can see in a lot of companies where if you're not at the head office, your visibility your personal brand is negatively impacted. So we don't have that. An interesting side note, when we started, I dislike conference calls. I dislike email, especially internal. It leads to a lot of passive aggressive and toxic behavior in my humble opinion. So when we started HeroX, the first thing we did was we effectively banned email and phone calls as communication methods. You know, We didn't ban them completely it was used when when practical, but we from day one used video chat and text chat as our methods of communication. That ended up being a really smart decision because with video meetings, with like Zoom is what we use now, what what's captured the imagination of many, many people. We've been using Zoom for years and it just makes a total difference when you have Zoom meetings versus conference calls. And we use Slack now, obviously. But before that, we, we used various other chat techniques because we started HeroX before Slack was Slack. But those tools just create a, a much deeper level of engagement and collaboration and uh, esprit de corps compared to the, those traditional tools. So we've been using those for years now. Now, you know, I've talked to a lot of managers and entrepreneurs who are discovering these new tools and these, this new way of working. 
And it's just very interesting to see um, how that, in many ways, the pandemic is accelerating the future. When, when you have someone who's coming into HeroX, who might be from a traditional corporate background, what is advice that that you or or your leadership team gives them as they make that transition from what traditionally was meetings, conference calls without video and lots of email to a more streamlined, asynchronous video chat environment? I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs about remote work and people, staff members that want to work from home. And you know, a lot of um, executives I've talked to have a, a negative reaction to that. Years ago, I was a member of the Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, and spent a lot of time with, with different business owners. And I remember um, I was talking about, we had a lot of remote workers, an executive kind of reacted and said, well, oh, we tried that and it was a disaster. So I just shut it down and everybody has to come to the, to the office. You know, I, I need to be able to see them and we need to be able to keep on top of things. And he was talking and it hit me that what he was really talking to is a lack of trust with his staff that he didn't, he couldn't trust them to do the right thing unless he was observing them. And it hit me in that moment that I don't want to create a company. I don't want to have staff that need supervision to succeed. And that's when it really hit me that this, this is pointing to something much bigger than just whether you're you know, in an office, whether you're not in an office. It points to a, a kind of a foundation of culture of do you trust your staff or not? And do you treat your people like grownups or do you treat them like children? And it hit me right then that, you know, I was going to manage grownups and I was going to treat them like grownups and give them the respect that I think we all deserve. And if people on my team can't raise themselves to that minimum level of expectation, they shouldn't be on my team. And so that's how I introduced it. That's how we, we talk about working at HeroX. It's a, I call it a zero supervision environment. And, you know, my experience of that is when you treat people like grownups and they get that that's really what's happening. Because in a lot of companies, there's this weird parental relationship between the the worker and the company, the worker and the manager. And when you treat them like grownups, people step up and they like it. They like themselves better. They like their job better. They do better. They're more empowered. That kind of supervision attitude is counter to treating people that way. Yeah, that empowerment word, I agree with you on the trust. It was always confusing to me when I worked in corporate America, how much money we were paying adults. And then, like you said, treating them as if they were children. And the financial investment into the individual, the talented and expert individual, wasn't commiserate with the way that the management structure managed the work. When we think about crowdsourcing in HeroX, it is a platform that empowers a, a pool of, of experts to try to solve problems. And so I want to hear a little more about the platform. What are some examples of problems that have been solved by the platform? So our focus is on innovation, open innovation specifically, and using crowdsourcing to source um, new inventions, designs, ideas. The way that we look at uh, what we do at HeroX is we're at the edge of the knowledge work, knowledge economy, where we work on the, the crazy you know, innovation, crazy ideas, um, maybe this works. A lot of what you see in startups and all of that. We're not a gig platform. You know, it's not a 
place for getting freelancers to do very specific things to be directed and managed. We're complementary to that. If you think about um, the way a, an organization works, you know, it, it gets this input and data from its customers in the marketplace. It has a business a set of business objectives. The gap between those two things are often called problems or challenges or goals. And the job of the team there is to solve those problems, come up with the right strategies. And in all of those things that show up, there's going to be a set of problems that aren't solved inside the company. And those trickle up higher and higher, usually to the executive suite. So we have this, this quote that we use at HeroX called the, the organizational innovation paradox, which is basically says that by the time a problem gets into the executive suite, the answer is not in the building. You know, no matter who you are, no matter what organization you work for, most of the smartest people work for somebody else. It's a famous Silicon Valley quote by Bill Joy, I believe, co-founder of Sun. You know, that's really true. Like we estimate there's 900 million people in the knowledge economy worldwide. These are programmers, these are designers, you know, these are, these are creative people that work in the digital economy. And no matter who you are, no matter what company you work for, there's a tremendous surplus of talent out there. So crowdsourcing is meant to complement the work of the in-house the teams, the work of the freelancers they're bringing in, and bring another labor model, another approach to tap into the creativity and genius and innovation and ideas that are out there. And when you do that, and you look at kind of your, your job is to bring the right intelligence, the right um, ingenuity to the, to the right problem, crowdsourcing becomes a, a clear tool that you should have on your tool belt. It's not for everything. You're not going to you know, do customer service using crowdsourcing most of the time. Although if you look out in the crowdsourcing ecosystem, you see that crowdsourcing is being applied to almost you know, every type of problem and discipline and industry out there. It's quite amazing. But we focus on crowdsourcing knowledge work, crowdsourcing genius, and it's very complementary to the movement um, towards the gig, gig economy and how companies are moving to this the future of work that you talk a lot about. Give me one example where the problem couldn't be solved inside the building. They reached out and said, hey, I want to give this concept of crowdsourcing with HeroX a try. Like, wh what are the types of problems that companies are looking to solve? Well, that's, yeah, that's great. So one of our um, customers is NASA, you know, like, you know, the guys with, with the rocket scientists. <laughs> and yeah, and NASA has, um, you know, a really interesting history of public-private partnership that really stemmed from the Apollo program when they just, they realized very quickly they could not solve all the problems of putting a man on the moon in the time frame they had. So they, they had to scale this out by going outside of their organization and engaging with the private sector. And they engaged with thousands of contractors. You know, this is, of course, a while ago. But that culture, you know, still exists in NASA. So NASA has been an early adopter of crowdsourcing. If you think about it, it's kind of ironic because, you know, they've, like I said, they've literally got rocket scientists, but they quickly realized that that wasn't enough. They couldn't figure out every problem. One of the great projects we, we actually have running on our site now is the Exploring Hell Challenge, which is basically how can we design a rover that can travel to Venus? You know, Venus is very hellish environment. It's 900 degrees Celsius which I think is over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. 
over 90 atmospheres of pressure. That's 90 times the pressure of, that we have here on Earth. And so microelectronics, even the most basic transistor, just will not work. It'll fry. So how are they going to create a rover that can survive in that uh, temperature? They have to go with mechanical approaches. So they've put that project out there, and we've had this huge engagement with engineers and, and inventors and tinkerers and amateurs who are just salivating over this kind of problem and are engaging in some of the you know, just really creative thinking on how to even have this rover navigate the surface and using uh, antennas and feelers like, like insects that are you know, connected to these servos that are very steampunk. So there's just some really amazing stuff that you get. And this is the type of work that NASA does. If they need to improve the efficiency of their rocket engine, I mean, they've got the computing power and the intellectual horsepower to, to work on that kind of stuff. But when you're looking at these kind of breakthrough innovations and these new, fresh ideas and kind of rethinking something, you know, that's very powerful. And that's what the crowd is really good at, is bringing that almost Darwinian idea landscape to any problem that companies care about and want to um, incentivize and publish. I remember speaking at a crowdsourcing event. It was this eye-opening moment when one of the contestants or one of the experts got on stage and he said, we celebrate people who are playing video games all day. I enjoy being in this community because I'm around a bunch of people who want to solve problems and they're interested in what I'm interested in and it's where I belong. And it, it fundamentally changed my view of these knowledge-based crowdsourcing programs because to your point, the tinkerers, the creative people, the people that just want to collaborate and try to solve a problem. And yeah, there's a, a prize at the end of it maybe, but but that's I would not I would imagine that that's not the thing that's that's driving them. It's a sense of community and solving a problem of, you know, how do you put a rover on Venus? Like there's not that many opportunities to solve those types of interesting problems. Well, absolutely. And the need we solve with the solvers out there, the innovators, is really access and the opportunity to participate. You know, the beauty of open innovation and crowdsourcing is it's an uncredentialized collaboration, right? Meaning NASA po posts a challenge like that. And by the way, we just we also just launched a new one called Honey, I Shrunk the NASA Payload, which is about miniaturizing payloads for lunar missions, which again, just a wonderful, rich and crunchy problem for for the right kind of people. And it doesn't matter who you are. You could be an engineering student in Turkey. You get to work on a NASA problem. You get to look at the data and the information that NASA is doing, and you get to put your fingerprints on that. And that there's something extremely compelling about that. It really feeds a human need, which is, I mean, just look at some of the crazy hobbies and just go on YouTube and look at some of the things that people do on YouTube, you know, just for the joy of invention and creation that we have a human need to solve problems. It's what differentiates us from other species on the planet. It's why we've been so successful. And a lot of people are, they're in a job, they, they have a salary and an income, but they're not fully engaged. They can't apply all of their talents in their day job. So they go to hobbies, they go online, they, they get involved with the maker community, they dabble in data science. There's this huge cognitive surplus that's out there. And crowdsourcing is a way to, to kind of polarize that cognitive surplus and to bring it to a problem that you would like solved. And that uh, collaboration is extremely powerful 
it's egalitarian, it's good for democracies and the free market. It gives people uh, the opportunity to participate, to demonstrate their genius, and it changes the lives of people. It changes their trajectory. The people that sh- um, post these amazing ideas, I mean, A, they, they can get paid, they can win the incentives, but they also stand out now. These are things they can put on their resume. These are things that can lead their career in a new and better direction. And that's one of the things that I really love about crowdsourcing. The project you just discussed, Honey, I Shrunk the Payload, it might not even be an engineer that solves that problem. That's one of the the interesting things I've learned. I know Harvard did a bunch of work with Steve and and the, the folks over at the Innovation Lab that a lot of the problems that are solved for companies are actually by non-experts. A vast majority of big problems are solved by people that bring a diversity of thought to the table that, to your point, whether it's in that building or within that discipline, would not have been solved otherwise. How do you convince them that says, hey, it's okay that you need to reach out for help. Because I think in a lot of ways, and, and maybe this is a primarily American thing, asking for help or saying that you don't have the right people in the team or the right people in the building feels like it might be seen as failure. Our data shows that 75% of, of the best ideas are coming from non-experts in crowdsourcing. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense because Again, if you look at how the life cycle of a problem, you know, if you have a lot of experts in, in an organization or in a field, the problems get identified. And if they're solvable in the domain of that field, they're going to be solved. So you're left with the problems that need an outside insight, an out-of-the-box idea. And these are the things that crowdsourcing is really good at tapping into. It creates a diversity. It, it, crowdsourcing done at its best is really a collaboration between experts and non-experts. It's really about bringing the best of the you know, in-house expertise you have with the creative thinking, the ideation, the like Darwinian cycle of, of idea generation. And um, that works really well. And if you look at startups and entrepreneurs, you see this time and time again. You know, I, I mean, just pointing to a convenient example, Elon Musk, after PayPal, has created two successful companies, SpaceX and Tesla. And in neither of those, he was experts in. He wasn't a guy who, you know, he wasn't an aerospace engineer. He wasn't a car guy. And in fact, when he started those companies, he was really openly mocked and ridiculed by the industries, saying he would fail. But he brought outside thinking. He rethought things. He looked for new opportunities, new innovations, and has been one of the most prolific entrepreneurs in our generation. And I think, in my opinion, that outside view, that amateur view of looking at things with new, fresh eyes is is a big factor to his success. And he's learned to leverage that well. Also, by the way, how he hires as well. He does the same thing. And, you know, that points to something that's really important about diversity and ideas and how great ideas are formed. Yeah, it's been my experience in most of the corporations I've worked with and even friends that that work in other corporations that we're still tied to these job descriptions and roles. You know, if you're a program manager, this is what you do and these are the skill sets and you should take, you know, a Udemy class to help you further that skill set if you're this. and And they don't look at other skills and other perspectives and and mash those things together to see where where magic happens and i think it's a 
it's one of the reasons that I try why having this conversation and why I, I work to evangelize this idea to corporations saying it is an investment in your people to adopt this crowdsourcing model or to adopt freelancers is an investment in your people because it will help make them better. It will make the ideas better. It'll make the, the outcomes better and it'll help train them to invent in a new way. And I know that's something that when we've had conversations and, and the work that you do has always inspired me and helps me <laughs> keep going because there's a lot of headwinds against the idea that this kind of diversity, I think people say it, but then when it comes down to it, there's all these reasons on why I have these captive people in this company and th these are the talent I need to utilize. If we look out into the next 18 months from now, you come from a distributed company. I'm now working in a distributed company and have had my eyes open to the benefits of working in a fully distributed company as compared to my previous 20 years in a captive environment. Do you think that there is a greater adoption of remote expertise and, and to your point, diversity of thought that may not be in the building? Does this strange point in time help open people's eyes to that? Absolutely. Well, and again, one of the things I like to talk about is how the internet and modern technology is shaping our society and our species. And people talk a lot about the millennials and, and lots of people can see that there's a really a big culture difference that crosses between the older generations and the, the millennials and the, the Gen Zs. I call them digital natives. They grew up with the internet. They grew up being connected. They think in a connected, collaborative way at a whole different level, whether they're playing video games or whether they're being social, whether they're working, they bring a, a different mindset. And that mindset is, is very much you know, leveraging the, this technology to collaborate at new levels. So you know, when we started HeroX, we realized that we're really working towards an inevitable future of, of using the internet to collaborate at a whole nother level of what's possible. And it's going to be driven by the, the digital natives as they continue to get promoted and become a larger and larger part of the decision-making of companies. This pandemic is accelerating that. You know, organizations are starting to evolve into understanding that we live in an extremely complicated world. There's so much to learn. There's so much to know. If somebody thinks that they can figure everything out themselves, it's just an absurd viewpoint to think that that's the case. So you look at the world today and all of the, the power and capabilities and all of the new technologies that are out there, new techniques and methods in every industry and discipline, it seems obvious to me that we need to collaborate, that as a single human being, you should absolutely become an expert. You should really develop yourself and have some really strong skills and some deep expertise, but also understand that we are most powerful when we collaborate together and bring you know, the different skill sets and capabilities to bear on a problem. And crowdsourcing is just a great way to have that happen. What Peter says, Peter Diamandis says often about crowdsourcing is, you know, if you're looking for a needle in a haystack, crowdsourcing lets the needle come to you. And that's a you know, very powerful concept. The idea of not tapping into that cognitive surplus and giving people opportunity, I think is, to your point, it, it's obvious to me that that's what we should be doing, that everyone who has a gift or an idea or wants to solve a problem can have access to solving that problem. And I think we let too many 
traditional mindsets and constructs try to shut that down for reasons that just haven't been challenged in a long time. And I'm excited mm-hmm. about the work that you do and, and many others in, in challenging convention and showing that, hey, if you do want to put a rover on Venus, you probably should ask a lot of people for help. Christian, thank you so much for taking the time with me. If somebody wants to learn more about the work you're doing at HeroX or get in touch with you because they heard something that sparked their imagination, what's the best way to do that? Go to HeroX.com and look at what we're doing. You can also gain um, some information there about how to use crowdsourcing, how to use our platform. And we've also launched a COVID-19 central hub, which is HeroX.com slash COVID-19. And what we're doing there is we're supporting the the innovation community who's stepped up to tackle a lot of the problems that are, are have been caused by this pandemic have really shocked the you know the traditional systems and are bringing new and fresh ideas and innovation to all elements that are impacted by COVID-19 and we've got um, dozens of projects there we're we're looking for new projects to cover and support we're connecting these teams with institutions that want to participate in them. We're creating ecosystems. We're helping them recruit crowd members. So please go to HeroX.com slash COVID-19 and, and be part of the solution. And we'll put all those things in, in the show notes. Christian, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Yes. Thanks a lot, Paul. and really appreciate it. I'm your host, Paul Estes. Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy Podcast. Learn more about the future of work and the transformation of the staffing industry from those leading the conversation at staffing.com where you can hear from experts, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and get access to the best industry research on the future of staffing. If you've enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or just tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Talent Economy. 